Jed Clapper says, y'all come back now, you hear? You may have a seat. Proverbs chapter 21. I hope tonight's study will be encouraging to your faith. It will strengthen your faith. It will encourage you to pray uh, consistently and trust God to help you. Uh, church is teaching what God says. Church is also encouraging because uh, of what God says. And that's how we get strength. And uh, the more we are exposed to the word of God, the more we're taught consistently and systematically the more we have our faith strengthened. And that's my goal tonight. Proverbs chapter 21, and look at verse number one. A favorite verse in the book of Psalms and Proverbs. Uh, between these two books, Psalms and Proverbs, you have several, I'm sure, favorite verses that you can call favorite verses. There's too many of them, really. But here's one verse that's like a favorite verse. Verse number one says, The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord, as the rivers of water, he turneth it with whosoever he will. Now look at that verse, and if you don't know much about the Bible, look at that verse and read it to yourself one more time. The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. As the rivers of water, he turneth it with us ever he will. Let me ask you some questions to help you think through the verse. And this is how you understand your Bible. Ask yourself some questions. Um, it doesn't tell us who the king is. It doesn't matter. The king is someone who has authority and power. Um, the Lord, he has control over the king because the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. And he mentions a river here. It is something to see in the contemporary life of the, the book of Proverbs. And it's a real river. As the rivers of water, rivers of water, he turneth it, he turneth the rivers of water whithersoever he will. So he's saying God can turn the rivers of water, our literal river, he can turn it. He can change his direct, change his course because he can do whatever he wants to. That's what he's saying. Likewise, he can also change the hearts of kings. That is essentially what he's saying in this verse. Now the verse should be very encouraging to you and to me as Christians because we believe in prayer. We believe God answers prayer. Right. We also believe that God is powerful and God can do whatever he wants to do or whatever is in his will to do we believe that but sometimes our prayers don't go answered sometimes it's like we think god is doing this <laughs> he's not hearing us now there's a condition for god to not hear us and that's the book of james because you ask you don't receive because you ask a mist that you might consume it upon your own lust. so there is sin the sinful intent where God says, I'm not going to answer that prayer because you're going to do something really bad with that if I give it to you. And so there is a condition to God answering prayer. But by and large, we believe that God answers prayer. And when he says the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord, as the rivers of water, he turneth it with whatsoever he will. That is a very positive, encouraging verse because he's saying, I can do what you cannot do. I can do some things that you cannot do. I can change the mind. I can change the heart of someone who is like a king. Think someone in authority, someone in power. Now let's look at the words in this psalm or in this in this proverb. Uh, the king's heart, the king, a king, a king, a king is someone who is not elected to office. I think you know that a king is someone who is not voted on to be a king. He is a king because. It's been passed down to him. He has inherited it by birth. 
He's in line to be the king. And so he can never be voted out of power or out of office. Uh, he may have a court to advise him, but he doesn't have to listen to his court and advisors. What do you think about this issue? The peasants up there, they make all control. What do you think we should do? Well, your majesty, we should do this. He doesn't have to do anything they say. The court of the king, they are there to advise the king, but it's up to him to take their advisement or not. He can say, forget you, I'll, out of here. I don't want to listen to that. No, I'll, I'll do what I want. He can do that and they can't do anything. He's all powerful, the king is. Um, ultimate power, whatever he says goes, his word is law, and all are subject to him because he's the king. A king in many ways is pretty much all powerful in a country, okay? If you have a good king, it's good. You got a bad king, it's bad for everybody. From top to, it's bad for everybody. If the king's a selfish dictator type of a man, and everything's about him. He's a narcissist. He, he has no heart for the people. It's going to be a horrible rule. It's going to be a horrible rule. If you trans, transfer from a king to a dictator like Mao Zedong, you, you think about other people right now in Africa, in the countries of Africa, horrible living conditions. It's just unbelievably horrible because you have a dictator who cares nothing but himself. He's got an army to protect him. Therefore, he can do what he, do what he pleases. He's all-powerful. Well, do you know that all kings of the past, and maybe even today, presidents, whoever the head of state is, do you know that they're not all-powerful? Excuse me. Somebody's blue car is blocking uh, his car. Yeah. A blue car is blocking blue somebody? Car. A blue car? Somebody have a blue car? No, not us. Not that I know. Then what was I saying? Um, the king. If he's evil, everybody suffers. You can't tell the king what to do. He tells you what to do. This all has a bearing upon the verse here and what I'm trying to explain. Okay? So... Uh, we are subject to the king, and he's not subject to anyone. What it says is law. You don't alter his law. But there is someone else who is a greater king than kings. Look at this verse with me, Revelation chapter 19. Look in your Bible, please, to Revelation chapter 19. When I think about kings, I have to think about another king. Another king who is always good, always righteous, never evil, never does anything wrong. Revelation chapter 19. Now, chapter 19 of Revelation is about the Lord coming back to close up the tribulation period. He returns on a horse, on a white horse. Revelation 19, and come down to verse number 11. I want you to see, in contrast to earthly kings who have all power, but here's a king who is greater in power. Verse 11. And I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. And he that sat upon him was called faithful and true, and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. Now that's Jesus Christ coming back to end the tribulation, and when he comes back, it will not be a happy time. You have gospel song to talk about when Jesus comes back, what a great day, it'll be a jubilee. Well, no, not really. 
Verse number 12, his eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns, and he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. Verse 13, and he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. Verse 14, and the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, and out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword. Obviously this is figurative that with it he should smite the nations and he shall rule them with a rod of iron and he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of almighty god have you ever heard that song it's in a hymn book it's about the second coming my eyes have seen the glory the coming of the lord he is trampling up the vintage where the grapes of wrath are stored it's about bloodshed it's about the second coming it's not about the rapture look at verse number um 16, and he hath on his vesture and on his thigh, here comes a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Isn't that great? There's a king greater than these earthly kings who think they're really it. Jesus Christ is really the one who's the greatest of all kings. Now also in Revelation chapter 1, turn back with me, chapter 1 of Revelation. I want to emphasize the contrast between earthly kings who have all power in their mind and literally all power when they did rule because they have an army behind them. Revelation chapter 1, this is about the really almighty king. Verse number 8. Verse number 7. Behold, he cometh with clouds, that's Jesus Christ, and every eye shall see him, sick and coming. And they also which pierced him, the Jews, the Jewish nation, and all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. Even so, amen. Verse 8. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord, which is and which was and which is to come, the Almighty. Do you see a capital A there under Almighty? That's Almighty God. But that's Jesus Christ returning. Conclude properly, Jesus Christ is God. And so what you find here, he's called the Almighty. In other words, there are kings, there are kings, but there's one king that's the Almighty King. The Almighty King. And does everything right. And he will rule on earth for a thousand years in righteousness with a rod of iron. And so this king is superior by far than any earthly king. Now it says the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. Now God alone has absolute power. He's the one that dictates. He's the one that controls. He's the one that overrules whatever a king can do and may do. Now sometimes this comes up in kings because they are kings. Actually, it's kind of hard not to have pride if you're the king. But if you have some character, if you are taught by your parents to be humble, you're not going to have this problem. But there's a man in the Bible, a king, who had this problem. Let me give you some clues to see if you can figure this out. He had a dream, and the dream was about a tree, and somebody came down to cut down this tree, but there was a stump, a giant stump that was left. And um, this king told it to a prophet named Daniel. And then Daniel figured this out. He could interpret the thing. And in the dream, in this vision, uh, a man would be eating grass like an animal. And so you'll find that in Daniel chapter four. And the someone who came down to cut the tree down, leaving only a stump, Daniel realized it was about Nebuchadnezzar. 
And so a year later, it happened to Nebuchadnezzar. He got, he got high and mighty. He looked at his kingdom and he glorified himself in chapter four of Daniel. And the Lord took away his mind and he'd eaten grass like an animal. So this took place after a year of this vision. And so when that happened to Nebuchadnezzar, for a period of time, he was living like an animal. So this mighty king, Nebuchadnezzar, in his mind, I built this great reign. God says, really? And he touched him. He lost his mind. And then after a while, Nebuchadnezzar uh, humbled himself. And then he was restored his kingdom. And so what you learn from that is God is the Almighty. He is the king of all kings and everyone who is a king ought to stop and think that they are there because God has allowed them to be in that position. Translation in modern times, a president, vice president, senator, a congressman, a governor, you see all these political offices, translation, they're not there because they cheated or they're savvy or because of this or because of that. It's because they have been allowed to be in office. Whether you like them or not is not the point. And so they had been allowed, meaning that they had to almost get permission. Now, they didn't ask God for it because a lot of politicians are godless. But in essence, the overall scheme of life and things is that God has allowed them to be in office, which is kind of hard to take because God, I mentioned Mao Zedong. God allowed him to be in office, to be a dictator, Joseph Stalin, Pol Pot. God allowed that. Well, I mean, if the Bible is right, he did allow that. Did he approve of that? No. Did he cause them to? No. But he allowed it by permission. See, just like he allowed the devil to have control over this world. But he's not approving of it. So we have to separate these things. The, the point is that there is a permission granted for a king to be a king. Romans 13 comes into play. Now, I think elected officials should take heed to what the Bible says. Because like it did to Nebuchadnezzar, gone. You know, I, I like sports, you know. I think you may know that about me, but I don't like athletes. I like sports. I like the sport. I like baseball. I like basketball. But I like basketball players. I don't like professional basketball players. LeBron James, to me, he is the epitome of an egotistical, selfish, self-made athlete. You know, LeBron James, he is um, the first millionaire, billionaire basketball player. Billionaire. Billionaire. There's a football player for the Kansas City Chief quarterback. He makes almost a half a billion dollars in his salary. Now you said you're just jealous. Yes, I am. <laughs> I am not. Good for them. All right. But I'm saying their abilities to run and throw, his ability to jump and shoot and dunk the ball, whatever he has. Okay, not everybody can do that, really. But where do you get those abilities from? Well, because he trained hard since he's a boy. Well, could be. That's a part of it. He worked on the thing, but not everybody can play basketball. I have, I can't play basketball. I can shoot, I can dribble, but I can't really play basketball. If I were to play basketball on a horse, and if I lose, you can take away my car, my house, you can have it already, because I'm gonna lose. I'm not that good. I'll try to be good, but I can't do it. I'm not a good swimmer. I can swim, but I can only dive in about 10 feet. That's it, I can't do any more. Play tennis, uh, hockey, no. Soccer, no, too much work. Um, I can do some things, but I can't do a lot of things, no matter how much I try. Not everybody can play basketball. And so when a man thinks he's, he's God, 
then he's got an ego problem. All I'm thinking is about one's going to touch his brain, touch his arm, so he can't play anymore, or touch his knee. You know, football players, if you if your knee goes out, you're done. If your ankle go out, you're done, because you need to have those things working in order before you can, if you want to continue playing. All I'm saying is that we are so vulnerable because we're not the Almighty. God is, and if God ever said. If, ever, if God ever got mad at you so much so he says, okay, you know what, you're, you're, too, you're too cocky now. You know that? You know what I'm going to do to you? you? You know, you think you got a great voice? I'm going to just touch your throat. I mean, he could do that if he wanted to. Some of these entertainers, they think they're so, so important. They think they're so great as if their opinion, I don't want to know your opinion. If you're a good actor, just act, fine. But don't get into politics and give us your opinions about things. But they got to say how important. Uh, anyway, I'm saying God is over everybody. And if you want to... Uh, okay, then you're going to go to the hospital, be on IR or something. You're not going to function if God ever did that to, you, to anybody. So Nebuchadnezzar, God touched him until he repented and humbled himself. The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. Now, when advisors give opinions, they always say something like this. Your Majesty, if it pleases you, I think we should do something like this. Your Majesty, what do you think? Court jester? Oh, I don't know. I'm a court jester. What do I know? Yeah, yeah forget you. Okay, what do you, you're my advisor. What do, you, what do you think? Well, I think, Your Majesty, if it pleases you. They always somehow preface the remark with something like, if it pleases Your Highness, Your Majesty. Because they're always saying, okay, what I think, doesn't matter what you think is what matters. So I give you what my opinion is, what I think, but you do what you want to do, Your Majesty. If it pleases Your Majesty, so that's to show respect to the king, because they're subjects. He's a he's the superior, and whatever he says goes. And so you approach like that. Now, when they talk like that, it is to say that the king has things that please him. A king, one in authority, has things that please him. He has desires, he has likes, dislikes, he has ambitions, uh, he has feelings, he can be stubborn, he can be very generous, he can be very sympathetic, uh, he has his own thought, and depends on what it is, the king can do anything he wants to. If he doesn't like these Christians, offer their heads. There's no questions about that. Persecute them. Uh, the Nero's and the Roman emperors, there's 10 of them that persecuted the early Christian church. They were horrible. I have my other Bible, from the book of Revelation, I have 10 emperors written out in my margin. Uh, Vespucian, Nero, and some others, uh, you know, and in different time frames and how they persecute Christians. They could, and they did. So it depends on what gives them pleasure, they will act it out. But sometimes, here's the, I'm getting down to the point, sometimes kings do things they didn't ever intend to do. Sometimes kings pass laws, sometimes kings do things they never intended to do that and it turns out it benefited people and so it says in chapter 21 of Proverbs verse number 1 uh, the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord and so whatever whoever the king is he just doesn't realize this but his his heart his his mind his his thought processes his his Intentions, it's in the hand of God. He doesn't realize it. And he'll do things sometimes with awareness that there's going to be a consequence, or sometimes he'll just do something without even being aware of what's going on. Is it possible 
Is it possible for God to work through people without them knowing it? It is possible. Later on, looking back, you say, oh, now because he decided to do that, this is what happened. It happens like that in history. Um, but the king's heart is subject to God's influence. Uh, the book of Esther. Uh, the book of Esther. The book of Esther is an example. Uh, Ahasuerus or Xerxes, um, the king of the book of Esther, she became queen. Why? Because Vashti the queen did not please the king. He wanted to show off her beauty to somebody. He got all drunk and everything, but uh, she didn't want to come out and she disobeyed the king, which is not a thing to do. You don't disobey your king. She did. The king's upset and the advisor said, you know, get another king because if you don't queen, if you don't get another queen, all the men of your kingdom, they're gonna think we can all they can all women can do that to their husbands. And so you know who he picked to be queen? Queen number two. Who did who did the king pick to replace Vashti? Esther. Esther, who happened to be a Jew. It's a secret now. The king doesn't know yet. And so uh, the book of Esther is a great book about the Lord turning a king's heart. We'll keep going. In uh, Proverbs 21.1, As the rivers of water, he turneth it. He turns the king's heart like a river can be turned. The image of moving a river is very graphic because it is not easy to move a river to divert its path. You might, in modern times, use heavy equipment, bulldozers and other cranes and different things to divert the path of river. It can be done. Do you know that they dug a tunnel 1.7 miles underneath the city of Seattle, Washington, not too long ago? Did you know that? It's a four-lane highway underneath the city of Seattle, but it's a huge machine that spins like this, and it dug out a 57-foot in diameter opening a mile and uh, 1.7 miles. You can change ge geology. <laughs> you can change things by these big monstrous pieces of equipment. It's called the Bertha Tunnel Boring Machine. And it took uh, a long time to go 1.7 miles. And so I use that to explain to myself that as hard as that was for man to go through rock, he got stuck by the way by a, a piece of steel. For over uh, 10 months, they were stuck delayed because a piece of steel that it hit couldn't go through it. I don't know what it was exactly. I don't care. I know this. It took a lot of effort to, to go and drill 1.7 miles under the city of Seattle. It's hard. Difficult. But do you know it can be done? But wait. As hard as that, as hard as that was to drill that hole under the city of Seattle, 1.7 miles, the tunnel, he says that's kind of like a king. God can move his heart like he can change the direction of a river. As hard as it is to get a wicked king's heart to change or to do something good for God's people, that can be done. And he's saying, it's not hard for God to do it. It's hard for man to divert a river and its course. It's hard for man to drill a hole almost two miles underneath the city. That's really hard. But God doesn't think it's hard to do something like change a king's heart, no matter who he is. Come to Ezra chapter 7. Ezra chapter 7. Let's look at some verses about how God can change the heart of a king and kings. 
Ezra chapter 7. If you would take time within the next 30 days or so on, maybe the next two weeks, read the books of Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther, you will get a picture of how God worked in the hearts of kings. They were not Christian men. Ezra chapter 7 and come down to verse number 27. 727. Now, the king, Artaxerxes, verse number one, Artaxerxes, verse number one, the king put out an order for Ezra and others to go down to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple. And they were given first-class treatment along the way. Anything they wanted, anything they needed, they had first-class accommodation, they had protection. Along the way, if they needed anything, this document said, this document said, hear ye, hear ye. Whatever Ezra wants, as he comes by, give it to him. And the king's treasury will take care of the bill. Just give him anything he wants. Just keep track of what you give him. We'll reimburse you anything he wanted. And he says in the decree that was given to him, that'll be, uh, let's see, in verses number 11 through 27, uh, 26. 11 through 26 is the decree that the king gave for Ezra to return. And if you read it carefully, anything they wanted, they could have. First class tickets on Delta Airlines, they could get that. Uh, first-class five-star hotels, they can get that. I mean, everything that they needed to go and come back and to rebuild, they would be provided because the king. Now look at chapter uh, 7, verse 27. Look at verse 27, please. Ezra is overjoyed. He is full of praise to God. Look at verse 27. Blessed be the Lord God of our fathers, which have put, which have put such a thing as this, the decree in the king's heart to beautify the house of the Lord, which is in Jerusalem, verse 28, and hath extended mercy unto me before the king and his counselors and before the king's mighty princes. And I was strengthened at the hand, as the hand of the Lord my God was upon me. And I gathered together out of Israel chief men to go up with me. Notice the phrase in verse 27. Blessed be the Lord God of our fathers, which hath put such a thing as this, the decree, the favor in the king's heart. That was unheard of. There's no need for the king to be so favorable to Ezra to go back to Jerusalem. What was in it for him? God put it in his heart. Now, come to Esther chapter 6. As Esther, you are in Ezra. It's kind of confusing, but turn to Esther. 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 Do you know any girls named Esther? It's, it's not too common a name nowadays. Everything is different. All modern, you know, like a hurricane or tornado or prothetica. No Esthers anymore. No Audrey's, Amy's. It's, 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 it's modern kind of names. Oh, well. Uh, come to Esther chapter 6.
Esther chapter 6. Now you talk about God putting into the heart of a king something very unusual. Here's an incident in which God did something. And because he did something to the king, it led to a discovery which would save the life of all the Jews in the kingdom. Remember, Haman wanted to massacre all the Jews in the kingdom. He had a hatred for the Jews. It's like the devil who hated the Jews, God's people. It's like the devil hates Christians. And then it was a set time in which the king would execute the Jews. Now, Esther chapter 6, verse number 1. Look carefully at verse number 1. On that night could not the king sleep, and he commanded to bring the book of records of the chronicles, and they were read before the king. Now, let me ask this question. Isn't it odd? The king can't sleep. And because he can't sleep, he has somebody come and read to him a book of records of the chronicles. I mean, the daily log of the kingdom. How boring could that be? At 9 o'clock, some peasants came in. They would complain about this. Okay, 9.15. So boring. There's nothing exciting. Maybe that's why he had this guy come read the chronicles because there's nothing exciting about it. But notice this. On that night, he could not sleep. The king could not sleep. Now, you have to ask yourself this question. Why could the king not sleep that night? It would lead to a great discovery which would save the lives of all the Jews in the kingdom. What made the king not sleep? Let's think back. Was it the dinner he had? Was it the pizza? No. Was it because of the coffee he drank after 5 o'clock? No. The coffee doesn't bother me. I can drink coffee at night. I'll still go to sleep. My wife drinks coffee after 2 o'clock. She can't go to sleep. That's because she's inferior. No, just kidding you. You realize that something kept the king awake. He couldn't sleep. He's tossing and turning. He says, this is no use. This is no use. And he says, hey, come here, scribe. Uh, give, give me something. To listen, read something to me. And he reads in the Chronicles. And guess what he discovers? He discovers that there was a man named Mordecai who saved his life earlier. Go to chapter 2 of Esther. This is so exciting to me. I hope it is to you as well. Esther chapter 2 and verse 21. There was a conspiracy to kill the king, to assassinate the king. Chapter 2, verse 21. In those days, while Mordecai sat in the king's gate, two of the king's chamberlains, Bigthan and Tiresh, of those which kept the door, were wroth and sought to lay hands on the king Ahasuerus. Okay, something bothered them, something upset them. They're going to get dangerous. They're going to kill the, they're going to assassinate the king. You just don't do that. And so they keep it low key. And then verse 22, and the thing was known to Mordecai, who told it unto Esther the queen. And Esther certified the king thereof of Mordecai's name. And when inquisition was made of the matter, it was found out. Therefore they were both hanged on a tree. And it was written, it was written, there was a record made in the book of the Chronicles before the king. An official entry was made in the record books on the daily log that said these two guys were found out to conspire to assassinate the king. We found out about them because of Mordecai and they got hung in the story, officially in the record books. Well, now, wait a minute. Something, something did not happen. Mordecai did not get a reward for that saving the king's life. 
it was all quiet for for a while and then after that uh, Haman tries to assassinate and kill murder all the Jews using the law and twisting the law and all these kind of things but now when the king could not sleep when the king could not sleep he had the the archives read to him wait a minute who's that guy that saved my life Mordecai guy saved my life yes your majesty when did that happen oh that was back in the Christmas day about uh, two years ago well did did we ever have a ceremony to honor him for that I'm sorry, Majesty, but nothing. There's no record of him getting honored for saving your life. Well, we're going to fix that right now. Yes, Your Majesty. You see how all this playing out? But the point is, he could not sleep that night. How come he couldn't sleep that night? And how come he had, and how come this servant read from this portion of the, uh, <laughs> and come to that? You think it's all good luck? You think it's all coincidence? You think it's just, oh, good, you know, chance? I don't think so. The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. As the rivers of water, he turneth it with the servant he goeth. He wills. And so you have here an example of God working in the life of a, of a king to save his own people. He probably... had a bumblebee in his bed or something so he couldn't sleep. Maybe there was noise from a neighbor. I don't know. But he couldn't sleep at the point. And because of that, it was discovered that Mordecai saved the king's life from assassination. He was not rewarded. Let's think this right. Let's have a big ceremony and reward him. And of course, Haman was discovered and he was hanging, hung on his own gallows. All because God worked in the heart of a king. Did not allow him to sleep. See, it was kind of a humbug to not go to sleep. And sometimes God works like that where he makes something uncomfortable before he makes something right. We sometimes think, well, God doesn't make everything smooth for us before we know this is God's will. Sometimes he makes it rough before we get to the place of, okay, thank you, Lord, for not letting me, letting me fall asleep. You know, people have gone to the doctor for this problem and come to find out because of that appointment, something else was found that's more life-threatening. So you went in for a toothache, come to find out that this problem here was really the bigger problem. Or you went in for a, 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 a pain in the side and come to find out, you, you thought it was just um, something, but it was something else more serious. But because you went in, because of that being uncomfortable, it led to a discovery of something and it saved your life. It happens more than you realize. And the Lord has control of a king's heart and he can plant thoughts in people's minds because he's overall. Let me give you a story that is from Hawaii. Uh, when I began going to the prison at Halava many, many years ago, I guess it's been over 25 years ago, I was over at Halava and uh, it was a smaller area in the chapel. And there's a man in there, he was an inmate. I didn't know who he was. I, I don't know any of the inmates at the time. And so later on, this inmate was before the judge to be sentenced. He was facing an 80-year sentence. That's right, 80 years. He was facing an 80-year sentence. Well, um, went to court, 
You know what happened? The prosecutor, the witness for the prosecution was a no-show. The judge says, okay, out of my court. Let him go. Wait. That's only a part of the story. Two years later, back in court for a second time. This time, he was before the judge. And the judge told this, told this man who was once in the chapel where I was at the time teaching. I remember him because he's taller than the rest of the men. He stood out more. And uh, the judge told this man, I just sentenced your co-defendant to 20 years, 10 years mandatory. He stood in the very same place you are now before me. He says, but, and the man had gotten saved in prison. He says, but I know God changed your life. He says this to the, to the man facing 80 years. He says, I will cut you free and give you back your freedom. I will cut you free. I just sentenced your co-defendant to 20 years. I'm going to cut you free. You found God in prison. He changed your life. I'll cut you free and give you back your freedom. Why would the judge think that? Why would the judge say that? That's an example of God moving a man's heart. Now that's pretty unusual and that's pretty great. And that man has done good ever since. It's been over 20 years since he's been out. And uh, he tries to help inmates and inmates, uh, children of inmates and so on. And so the judge's heart, we'll say like this, the judge's heart is in the hand of the Lord. Let's say like this, the president's heart is in the hand of the Lord. Let's say like this, the senator, the congressman, the governor, the mayor, the state, you see, we can say it like that. They may not do the right thing, but neither did many of the kings in the Bible, and yet God still moved in their hearts to do what he wanted to get done. Do you see why this should strengthen your faith? Prayer is not in vain. Sometimes it seems like it is, but it's not in vain. Uh, remember last week I mentioned E.M. Bounds, that book, quote, Prayer breaks all bars, dissolves all chains, opens all prisons, and widens all straits by which God's saints have been held. This is a 19th century, uh, actually, uh, yeah, yeah, before that, Civil War. Um, he uh, wrote nine books, seven were on prayer, and this is one of his great quotes on prayer. I hope your faith is strengthened because of Proverbs 21, verse 1. The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. As the rivers of water, he can turn it everywhere with his river, he will. There's a verse I want you to think about and see. Turn with me. Acts 12, verse 5, please. We're almost done. Acts 12, verse number 5. You may know this is about Peter. He was thrown in prison to be executed because James was earlier executed. Please, Herod. And now he's in prison waiting to be executed. Look at uh, Acts 12, verse number 5. Peter, therefore, was kept in prison. But prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. Now think about this. At the hands of Rome, 
He's incarcerated. What can the disciples do? Nothing. What abilities do they have? Nothing. Can they hire lawyers? Too bad. Not going to even do anything. Nothing's going to happen. They're at the mercy of Rome. Their only recourse is to pray to God to do something and release him. So in verse number five, the important thing to know is that they believe that the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. Now the king did not change his mind. Herod did not change his mind. But God answered in another way. He allowed Peter to get out of that prison. So you understand that prayer is not in vain. And he can do the most unusual, the most surprising thing. Because he's the Almighty. And do you know I'll close with this verse? You know Romans 8.28? Romans 8, 28. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them that are called according to His purpose. Romans 8, 28. Great verse. It connects to Proverbs 21, 1. There's a man who's been praying for a friend for over 30 years. Finally, his friend got saved after 30 years. That's a long time. A husband prays, a wife prays for a husband for 20 years. All that time, he is rebellious. He is against God. He's against his wife going to church. He's against his kids going to Sunday school. Praying for him for over two decades. And finally, something happens in his life. His heart melts. He's willing now to turn to Jesus Christ. Before, money, entertainment, sports was his life. It took first place in his life. And now, because he was humbled, maybe it was an injury to his body. Maybe it was a heart attack. Maybe it was something like that that got him to look up. And he was humbled and he turned to Christ. So I hope you're encouraged tonight because uh, prayers are not in vain. It just seems like that sometimes, but it's not in vain. God can do the most unexpected things. God might be working behind the scenes and you don't even know it. That's true. That's very true. Um, I will tell you one story, if I may, and then I'm done. The Apostle Paul often said, finally, my brethren, he never did finish up his run. He just kept on going. So uh, I got a talk, a conversation with a man on a, from another island about four or five years ago. He was calling around different churches and he talked to me. He asked what I believe about certain issues. I told him, didn't know who he was. And uh, I just told him what I believe, what the church believes, what we think the Bible means and all that. He says, he says, amen, that's what I believe. I said, okay, good. And I said, now what? He said, oh, I just want to know. He says, um, uh, I'd like to send the church some money. I said, what's the catch? <laughs> I did ask him that. He said, no catch. He says, I just want to support uh, a ministry that is after the lost and believes that King James Bible and, and you know, several other issues, uh, pre-trib rapture and things like that. I said, well, if you want to, okay. But you know, and I said, okay, send it to the church. Don't send it to me. It's not my money. Make it to the church. And the church will give you a receipt. Da, 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 and so on. He says, great. So every year he used to send the church every January some money. Um, I guess he was kind of uh, an investor or a real estate kind of guy. He did that for about four years. And now he's in heaven. The last time I talked to him uh, was uh, before Christmas last year. And he died uh, January the 1st. And I did his service on the big island. And he told me three years prior, he says, when I die, I said, no, you're not going to die. He says, oh, yeah, when I die, I want you to come to my funeral. I said, yeah, I hope it won't be for another 20 years. The guy was 80 years old when, I, when he said that to me. 
but he did die. It's very quick, he had COVID. And uh, other than that, he was pretty healthy. And so what I'm trying to say is that uh, it was unexpected what he did for the church. It was unexpected, totally unexpected. And uh, I guess some people in church are praying about certain things and the Lord answered their prayer because that wasn't my prayer for somebody to send, you know, a certain amount of money. That was never my prayer, but somebody must have, I don't know, but the Lord surprised us. And so that's what he did every January. I'm just saying that the Lord works in the hearts of people, sometimes unexpectedly, sometimes it's gonna surprise you big time. So you just, you just remember who God is. He's the Almighty, he's the King of all kings. And he can do some things that we think he can never do. He can surprise. Amen. But let me tell you something. In the book of Ezra, Ezra, Ezra was preparing his heart. That was found in chapter 6, I believe. He was preparing his heart. And while he was doing that, God was preparing the heart of the king. So the catch is, if you want to say it's a catch, you cannot be just whatever is in your Christian life and just, uh, you know, I mean, don't even care about the Lord and expect him to surprise you with a blessing of some kind. It doesn't. And I don't think that's going to be uh, the kind of thing that the Lord does because everything we see in the Bible, he does these special things because some people are seeking him and people are turning from sin. They're trying to live right, whether it be a Jew or a Christian in the New Testament. And you find that correlation. You find a correlation. And so my advice would be uh, live for the Lord and then uh, trust him for what you need to trust him for. That applies to everybody. It applies to me. Uh, these days it applies to us because of the cost of groceries, the cost of gas. I was, I told my wife, I told my wife, just this afternoon, by the way, can you believe this? Just this afternoon, tell my wife. She said, okay, can we go to Costco tomorrow? I says, why? What are you going to Costco for? I said, why? She said, oh, because this, can we go to say something on sale? I said, ah, I don't know. I said, you know what you spend this month so fine groceries? She said, no. I said, let me show you. And I showed her. And she was surprised. I said, and she said, what did we buy? Can I see the receipts? I said, throw the receipts away because I put them on the, on the spreadsheet. I said, this is what we spent on this date. What store, da, 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 da. And here's what the total is up to today, the 27th of July. I said, look, I don't do shopping for food anymore until next month. <laughs> yeah. And she said, and she looked, she said, where did, what did we buy? I said, I don't know, but the only thing I bought that was unusual. It was something that cost $28 from, from Costco. And, uh, it was, uh, anyway, that was the only thing that was different. Everything else was just, you know, I got some hamburger at Safe on Friday for $2.99 pounds. So that was a good deal. So I bought, you know, uh, 30 pounds, $30 worth of that. Other than that, I didn't buy anything else. Unusual. So I don't know where I went except the price of things that have gone up. And when I, you know, I just, we've always been, pretty frugal and pretty conservative in spending. We've all been that way since we've been married. And yet, it's like, what, what do we have to show for this that we spent? I bet you wanna know what we spent for groceries, right, this month so far? Are you itchy to know? Who wants to know? I'm not telling you. But it was high. It was it's like, wow, I can't believe it. Cause uh, I said, I don't wanna do that. I said, we better, we better find what we can eat in our freezer, find what we can eat in the, in the cupboard, rather than just go, <laughs> We all, we all can be surprised by the Lord in some good way, but you have to be in a position um, for the Lord to do that. And I say that with the understanding we're all human, we're not perfect, 
but the Lord knows our heart, what we intend to do. And sometimes he blesses us because of the intent of our heart and the desire of our heart. So it's not about how you do certain things so much as, as, as your relationship to Christ and your fellowship with him. That's the really important part. And so, and actually when the Lord, the Lord gives you a blessing, uh, I write this word down, and I am done. Use a blessing. Always remember this. We don't deserve anything good from God. We're not worthy of it. But by His grace and mercy, He does bless His children. And you ought to thank Him for it. And express your thankfulness by living for Him. I don't like telling people what to do as Christians. I don't like making them do things that they don't want to do. I'd rather them understand what this is all about, the Christian life. And um, once you understand that, it's pastoring is a lot easier there's no there's no arm twisting there's no cry uncle cry uncle cry uncle no 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 it's never, it never should be that way it's what the Bible says if it applies to you then it applies to you to do something okay that's fair Proverbs 21 verse number 1 says let me see if I can remember it the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord as the rivers of water, he turneth it with a server, he will. Is that correct? Is that close? All right. I think I'm going to stop now. Thank you, Lord, for the word of God. We pray that you bless it to our hearts. Help us to believe what it says. Help us to practice what it says. Lord, um, our faith is sometimes so weak. And we are sometimes so scared and so fearful. And we need encouragement. We need your word to encourage us. We need to look at the Bible, look at the history, look at the circumstances, the examples of what happened with people. Look at Esther and Ezra and, and how you moved in the king's heart, how you kept him awake. And then it was discovered that Mordecai saved his life. And, and how Esther was chosen to be the next queen. And because she found favor with the king, she was able to have an audience with him. And then it was discovered that there was a wicked man trying to exterminate her people. And you saved your people because of people. Lord, we pray that you help us to remember that in politics or in any other situation, we just need to let you have control and take care of the things. We need to be responsible. We need to take care of our, our responsibilities and leave the results up to you. So may tonight's study encourage us in that way. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.